This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Pam Yancic-Keneally, and I'm the CFO of Kiva, and you're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 515. We sort of had a maybe a challenging conversation with, with our investors. They've said, yeah, we, we sort of don't want to give you that next influx of cash right now. We have a lot of businesses that we're invested in. You can go out and find funding some other place. That was a, an interesting time from my perspective. Now, we did go out, of course, and, and resolve that um, and went out and found some, some debt financing. But the big takeaway was, okay, we're gonna, we are going to control our own destiny from now on. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Nathan Feather, CFO of Prime Revenue, a company specializing in software and services for the supply chain finance realm. Nathan first entered the C-suite 13 years ago when Prime Revenue was a relatively small company. That opportunity has turned Prime Revenue into a multinational enterprise. We speak to Nathan after these words from our sponsor. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu, and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful at planful.com. Um, and also 
changing teams. So teams on one engagement might be different than, than teams on a different engagement. So you get a chance to not just get pigeonholed into one team, but an opportunity to work with, with many different folks. And then I also think um, it was great that that was a customer-centric experience, sort of right out of the gate, that you're client-facing, that um, you get some appreciation for that sort of from, from the jump. And that's not always the case in, in finance roles. Uh, and the last, I think, really great thing about that job is I got the opportunity to be exposed to a number of different businesses in different industries, um, whether they were more service-based or manufacturing-based, um, but really a, a good, broad exposure to, to businesses in general. Sort of the next I'll, I'll keep going through. The next one that I would say was a, a key milestone, and it wasn't necessarily a career milestone, but at this point I had left public accounting and moved into uh, private industry. And the CEO of our company was also an angel investor. And there was a company that he was invested in, and they were just getting ready to start looking for their first, you know, real round of capital going going for their Series A. Um, and he asked me if I could help them come up with the financial story to go along with, with their business story and to really help them build out their financial business model and get prepared for questions that investors might ask them. And, you know, I, I agreed to do that uh, for a couple of reasons, but one, because he was our CEO, and, and secondly, because uh, I thought it would be an interesting project, and it was. It was it was a lot of fun to work with a group that had that sort of um, passion and enthusiasm about their business, and we worked on that, you know, evenings and weekends at their little office or, you know, at a coffee shop. Um, and sort of going to a business of that size really opened my eyes for um, the difference that, you know, one person can make in a small company like that and how everybody is critical to the success of the business. And so I, I really liked that. Um, I was not working in a, in a giant company at the time, but it was still a public company with a couple thousand employees. And so I... I sort of filed that away in the back of my mind as something that, you know, if the right opportunity came up, I would want to pursue working in even a much smaller type of business. Now, was that, I'm sorry, Nathan, was that, a, was that Arriva? Was that, what company was that? And, uh, at the time, the company I was working with was Free Markets, uh, which was a Pittsburgh-based e-procurement company. And later, Free Markets um, merged with Arriva. Um, so this was pre-Ariba, but similar type of business and industry. And what's interesting is from the start, you're kind of in this interesting world of cash management, workflows. There's sort of this straight line of uh, opportunities related to uh, sort of the cash management space or visibility into uh, cash flow. Do you see it differently, or uh, again, certain CFOs do jump around quite a bit, but um, how do you, when you look back, what do you see? Um, it's not necessarily a straight line, but I think it's all along the same general path in the, 
technology-enabled services and um, with a sort of focus on procurement. So both Free Markets and Ariba were very much procurement-focused in terms of uh, making the purchase, I would say, especially at that point in time. So the, the process and the technology around actually purchasing the materials, here at Prime Revenue, we're sort of not so much focused at all on who you purchase from or, or how you're purchasing, but then once that purchase happens, how do you most effectively pay those suppliers and do it in a way that can be um, sort of beneficial for both the, the company that is the purchaser as well as the supplier? So definitely some of those experiences from earlier um, sort of do shade some of the some of the thinking and the, and the way we do things today. I find it interesting when you do jump to prime revenue. I think there's been a great deal of growth there during your tenure, but the fact is, is it must have been a pretty small uh, company when you first arrived. Or uh, I'll let you share that story. But um, anyway, th th that's what's racing through my yeah. mind. Yeah, definitely. So I joined here a little more than 13 years ago now. And so it did give me that opportunity to pursue a much smaller uh, a much smaller business to work in and to have sort of more influence potentially than you might in a larger one and to really get exposure to, you know, everything across finance. And as it's turned out, not just finance, but also from time to time, legal and HR and, and IT. And it's the sort of, I think, um, broad-based exposure that, I would not have had an opportunity to get in a, in a bigger firm. So when I joined here, um, we were about 20 people, and we were sort of still figuring, we're still figuring things out, but we were really just figuring things out at the time. Uh, we had some partners, but we were just starting to sign our first direct customers. So, you know, the finance department, wasn't much of a department. There, there was one other person who was uh, part-time and myself. And so we were sort of focused on making sure that basically that the business had everything that it needed at the time to be successful, whether that was, you know, cutting checks or making sure that payroll worked. But it was a complete, you know, finance function across a, a person and a half. Um, so it definitely was a, a bit of a different um, different scenario than what I had been used to. What led you there? Did you always have an entrepreneurial bend? Because you're up to that point, you were in larger organizations. What led you there? Yeah, so I think my experience with that very small group led me to want to pursue something much more entrepreneurial. And then I had, um, you know, I think the way a lot of people move from place to place in their career is uh, the, the CEO of Prime Revenue at the time was somebody that I had worked with in the past. And he sort of gave me a call and said, this is really interesting. Um, you should come check it out. We, we need help in finance um, if you're interested you know, why don't you move to Atlanta and, and we, can, we can give it a run. So I came down. I'm from Pittsburgh originally, but I came down to Atlanta. Um, fortunately, it was sometime in the winter, so it was a good time to come down. 
and came down and saw the business and saw what, what the vision was and really liked it and was it just the right timing for me uh, and a good opportunity to make a change and try something with a lot more risk um, than what I had been used to so far. Well, I want to find out, and you've already uh, touched on uh, prime revenue somewhat, but what is it that sets prime revenue apart? What is it doing? How does its offerings empower businesses differently from what you had been doing? Yeah, so I think it's just focused on a different part of the business and a, a different driver for our customers to have success. So, and at both Arriva and at Free Markets, the focus was about making the procurement process much more efficient and driving down the cost of the procurement, um, what's being purchased. And here at Prime Revenue, we're not so much focused on that, but what we're focused on is how can we optimize cash flow and working capital for our customers? And, you know, we focus primarily in supply chain finance on how do we optimize payment terms to allow the buyer to um, free up cash flow that's trapped in their supply chain that they can then use to invest in their business um, however they see fit. And so we do that at, by, in a couple of different ways. And the first thing we'll do is we'll work with the procurement team at our customers to analyze their spend and, and compare it to what we've seen in the past and help make recommendations for where and how they can extend payment terms. Um, you know, I say extending payment terms is nothing new. Companies have been doing that forever. But typically, it's a win-lose proposition. So if I extend my payment terms to you, I win because I hold on to my cash longer. And I just push all of that pain and burden uh, onto you. So where we really sort of help to add value is by connecting the buyers with their suppliers and a network of about 80 financial institutions that we use. And we bring uh, transparency into that process and full visibility so that um, there's no mystery anymore around the APAR cycle. And then because we're able to bring in our funding partners, we're able to break that link between when I pay you and when you receive the cash so you can control um, at what date you want to get paid and whether it's early or wait until it's normally due. So that is really how we help to unlock all that capital that's, that's trapped um, in supply chains across the world. Now, as the business grew, you had the opportunity, you told us how small it was just a one and a half, a team of one and a half people uh, at the start. You got to architect this finance function, and you got to determine what is the visibility I need. I need to supply to the organization to help it function and, and grow. Um, what would you tell us about uh, what you've created there, what you've built as far as that, that function is concerned? Um, and, and by that, I mean the types of roles or people or, or technologies that you've uh, used to build it. Yeah, so it's been an evolution, and, and that evolution continues. Uh, the first thing we did was brought in somebody full-time to sort of manage the general ledger, um, you know, to make sure 
all the debits and credits are, are working correctly and to, you know, help with all of the typical processing that finance departments have to, um, have to do just to keep the lights on and keep the employees paid and happy. And then over time, and, and so for me, um, you know, if you think about broad finance, my sort of enthusiasm for it lies more on the financial planning and analysis side than it does on the um, more controllership and, and that side of the house. So we we sort of built that side first, um, and then over time we've continued to build out FP&A as well, and we've added sort of points of expertise that we didn't necessarily know we needed right away, like um, people with backgrounds in international or with certain skill sets in tax and the like, to the point now where we have a team, I think, a great team in place that doesn't need me to be involved in, in the day-to-day -day type of work that the finance group provides to the rest of the business, but gives me the opportunity to sort of pick up and spend more time um, talking to customers, talking to investors, um, dealing with our board and, and things of that nature. So it's definitely been an evolution of the team, and the technology has evolved, I'd say, along with it from, you know, in the early days, things like Excel and, and QuickBooks, frankly, to now um, we're using NetSuite globally. Um, we're using all sorts of different tools for um, reporting to the rest of the business, um, you know, data and analytics tools. So it's been it's been a great change. It's been 13 years. It's been a long time, but there's been a lot a lot of change over that over that period of time. Now, just to, to reveal better the nature of this business, what are those top of mind metrics that you're always paying attention to? Yeah. So every day, there's a couple things I look at first thing in the morning. Um, one is an internal tool that we've developed. It's called Ticker. Um, but all it is is a sort of a running total of the day's activity on our platform. So how much volume is flowing through our platform? How much has been funded today? What are the different revenue streams on that? So that's the first, that's the first thing I open up pretty much every morning to see sort of what's happened already today in Asia and Europe before um, we in Atlanta even, you know, get started for our day. The second thing I look at every morning is our sales pipeline and the metrics around our demand generation. So how many leads have we processed? How many leads do we generate uh, today? How many do we expect to generate today? Any movement in the sales pipeline and how does that line up with our plan for the month, for the quarter, um, and those sorts of things. And then the third is what's happening with our customer success organization and what is their backlog look like in terms of adding to the network um, from a supplier onboarding and enablement standpoint. And so those are sort of the three things that, that I look at every morning, sort of what's, what's happened so far today, what's the demand gen pipeline look like, and then what's our customer success pipeline look like. Your world has really 
know, it evolved pretty quickly as the company has grown and you've added new people and what have you. Uh, but in terms of the numbers you look at, is there any new metric, perhaps, or something that's been added to the mix over the last few years that uh, wasn't quite as important four years ago as it is today? Again, it might be a, a customer measurement. We're hearing a good deal about the net promoter scores and other uh, non well, we, we definitely have one non-financial metric that is probably the most important metric for our business, um, and it is measuring the, I guess, our success rate against our the proposals that we have with our customers. And what I mean by that, and each one is different, right, but it's based on, you know, 100%. So when we first sign a new customer, we'll have an agreed-upon uh, objective with the customer that we're gen- going to generate, excuse me, going to generate, you know, 300 million in working capital over this period of time. And that is our number one success metric. Because if we're doing that, then we have happy customers, um, we have satisfied customers, we have customers that will refer us, we have customers that will renew, um, and we're building out the value of our network over time. So. I mean, that's, we, that's not necessarily something that's brand new for us, but it has, it's a non-financial metric that is the top of mind, I think, for, for everybody here at Prime Revenue. Now, we have what we call our sort of signature question, which is when we ask for a finance strategic moment. And this is where your lines into the organization allowed you to see maybe an opportunity or maybe it was a risk but you responded to it in some way. Now, it might have been at Prime Revenue. It might have been earlier in your career. But does anything come to mind when I ask for a finance strategic moment? Yeah. Uh, there's probably two that jump to mind originally. Uh, one is sort of about going beyond finance. And if we have time, we can talk about that one in a minute. But I'd say the one that's probably more finance-focused and, and maybe is more focused on folks and CFOs that are in maybe smaller-type businesses is around controlling your own destiny. Um, So like I said, I I joined in 2006. That was definitely pre-Great Recession. And at that point in time, and I think this is sort of becoming the the case again today, but fundraising was easy, right? And and equity fundraising was was pretty easy too. And so I think as a business – our focus was on growth, not on profitability, and our investors were supportive of that, of course. And so we would, you know, go through a certain phase, go back and say, okay, we're, we're sort of ready for the next fundraising. We're ready for the next equity check, which was great until about, you know, mid-2008 when that, when that time period hit. Excuse me. <clears throat> and the recession struck. And so at that point, when we were ready to take the next influx of cash, um, we sort of had a maybe a challenging conversation with, with our investors. Um, and they, they've said, yeah, we, we sort of don't want to give you that next influx of cash right now. We have a lot of businesses that we're invested in. Um, you know, you guys have real revenues and, and real customers and a real business you can go out and find funding some other place. Um, we need to save sort of our limited funds for some of our businesses that don't have those 
in their at their disposal, right? Maybe they're pre-revenue. Maybe they are, um, you know, in a different stage of evolution. So that was a, an interesting time from my perspective. Now we did go out, of course, and, and resolve that, um, and went out and found some some debt financing at that point in time that we worked through, and then you went through all the hard work of you know, going through the cost structure and, and changing some of our financial strategy. I think all of that made us much stronger in the long run. But the big takeaway was, okay, we're gonna, we are going to control our own destiny from now on. Um, and so we're going to make sure that we're not dependent on any third party to fund the, to fund the business. We're just not going to get in that position again. And so that's how we've sort of managed the business from that point forwards. And I think it's it's been good. It's helped us work through without a lot of stress, you know, some ups and downs in, in the economy. Um, and it was really a, a change in mindset for this company that we've kept to this day. Interesting. You mentioned the ups and downs in the economy. Uh, when the downturn occurred, how did that impact this business? Yes, it actually was impacted this business in a, in a pretty positive manner, actually. Um, so, uh, yeah, so our business is helping companies optimize working capital um, and cash flow. So when cash is readily available, there's not as much focus on trying to do that because there's really not as much of a need. But when capital becomes a little bit tighter, then it really calls into focus, I think, managing working capital, whether that's through AR or accounts payable or inventory, and we can help companies on both the AR and the NAP side today. And so that sort of helps bring more market interest in what we're doing. And the other thing that happened is we had worked with maybe a handful of funding partners to that point in time. And everybody had unlimited appetite for basically anything, um, sort of in the 2007 time frame. But that all changed overnight, too, and it, it caused us to really broaden out our partner network so that today we work with over 80 banks all over the world to ensure that we have, um, you know, enough coverage in case some banks change their mind or there's a another downturn in the economy, that we have enough diversification that we can continue to provide our service to our customers uninterrupted. You mentioned another, a second uh, finance strategic moment also uh, came to mind. Uh, is that something you'd like to share? Or yeah, I'd be happy to. So, a few years ago, I had the opportunity to expand my role and take on um, the general manager of Europe for prime revenue role. And, you know, I had some experience in supporting sales and operations, but never led them. So that was a great opportunity. Uh, we got to move to Prague, where our European headquarters is, and really see the business beyond finance. Um, really see the business in the day-to-day what happens in customer support, what happens in sales cycles, uh, what happens in technical operations. And I think it really gave me a better appreciation for the other parts of the business, right? I think sometimes it's easy for finance professionals 
to just look at things on the spreadsheet and look at the numbers, and if they don't balance out, then the answer is no. Um, but when you're actually out sort of in front of the fire, um, you know, at, at the tip of the spear, it, it helps to maybe give you a different, a different outlook on the challenges and, and the opportunities that the rest of the company is seeing on a day-to-day -day basis. So I think it's really helped me to um, empathize more with the rest of the business and not just be so focused on, on the bottom line. And I think, you know, it's something that I would, I would give as a recommendation to anybody out there if the opportunity comes up is to take an opportunity to work in another part of the business, really to understand the business at, you know, a, a detailed level. And that will help you be even more effective sort of once you return to your, your finance roots. We enter the mentoring round with CFO Nathan Feather of Prime Revenue. After this. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Okay, well, we're going to jump to our mentoring round where I get to ask you several quick questions intended to both inspire and mentor future finance leaders. What is it that is exciting you about finance and business today? Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, for me, part of it is how finance is becoming such a strategic partner to the rest of the business. And I think that's been the case in certain organizations in the past, but I think it's also been the case where finance was more of a controlling function at some points. But I think that's really changing to where Finance is a strategic, um, a strategic partner across the spectrum these days, um, and is asked to do more than just run the budget and run the actuals, but to actually bring some sort of value to the table. I think that gives folks in the finance profession just a great opportunity to continue to grow and expand, and even to grow and expand outside of, of finance if they so choose. So when you stepped into that, uh, to the CFO office for the first time, for the first time the weight of the office was entirely on your shoulders and decision-making relative to it was, what, what is it, that piece of advice you wish someone may have given you? Or if you could go back in time, maybe you would tell yourself this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a good question. I think the, the biggest piece of advice is you're not going to be expert in everything that cuts across all of finance. Um, you need to rely on, you need to build a team or rely on others to manage the areas where 
you know, you need help and where you're weak and not to try to, you know, make those decisions on your own, but to actively seek help. So I know that seems maybe a little obvious, but, um, you know, for, for me, I was in here, we were dealing with, you know, transacting and, and bank accounts and cash flows and all over the world and different currencies, and I had not had any exposure to, to that before. So um, trying to figure out how do we best repatriate cash and how do we best strategize for changes in foreign exchange, um, you know, was something that I had no experience in, in, and the business needed that, but I didn't have it, so I was able to go and and source some external help to help us think through all that. And I think that's going to be the case for, for everyone. Do you have a, a personal habit or routine you believe has contributed to your professional success in some way? There's, there's something I, that I have started to do over the past few years, which I think is maybe a little bit different than, than the average schedule. Um, and this sort of relates to a, a work-life balance initiative as well. And this really started for me when I was overseas in Europe, um, and that was, it would be really easy to work from, you know, 8 to 8 every day, um, certainly from, you know, 8 to 6 or 8 to 7 every day, especially if you're in the European um, theater where the U.S. folks are still going strong at that time of the day, and I, what I realized was I was doing that a lot and sort of missing out on, on a lot of things. So I, I changed my schedule to have sort of a normal, I'm going to have a drop dead at this time every, try to anyways, every day, say 5 o'clock, except for maybe one or two days a week. And on those days, I'm just going to stay in the office and work until whenever I need to to get caught up and get, and get things organized. Um, so rather than sort of making, you know, missing missing dinner with the family every night, I would miss it one night a week. Um, and that time when you're in the office, sort of when it's not crowded, when there's not a lot of meetings on the calendar, I've found that I can get more done in a couple of hours like that than I can sometimes get done in, in a full day um, in the whirlwind of what's happening sort of in that, in that nine to five window. Is there a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders? Uh, there's there's probably two books that I'd recommend right now, and, and these are books that we at Prime Revenue have been digesting and, and implementing. Um, and the first is Measure What Matters um, by John Doerr. So I think probably a lot of folks are familiar with that. And it's focused on, you know, objectives and key results and how to – um, how to think about that OKR process and sort of the benefits it can bring to a business. So that book's been, been around for a while, but it's, it's been sort of come off the shelf for me here lately. So that's one. And the second is a book simply called Objectives and Key Results um, by Paul Niven. And so that's more of a practical application than the theoretical side. It's when you actually get down to the nuts and bolts, how do you go and do that? So we're in the midst of, of doing that right now. Uh, so both of those books are, are right here on my desk in front of me. Okay. Well, we're up to our final question, which is to ask you to look forward finally and tell us what your priorities are as a finance leader over the next 12 
priorities, I think I might have touched on this before as well, is for me it's about continuing to build out the team. Um, as we grow as a business, we need to have the right folks to support the rest of the company. And we also need to make sure that um, I have the right bandwidth to spend with our investors and, and with our customers. Um, so it's continuing to build out a team. It's to build out a team that is living the values of prime revenue um, and, is, and is growing. Um, there's lots of opportunity here for us as we grow. So helping our, our current team members sort of expand into newer and bigger roles and making sure we're filling in the gaps with the right, with the right folks to support them. But that's really it for us. It's, it's making sure that we continue to build and, and grow the team. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.